50 years. Wow. <laughs> kind of tough when you've been married 50 years, you're only 59 years old, you know, but uh, that's, that's the way it goes sometimes. Uh, it's good to be with you today and to share with you. I uh, had Joe and, um, and Taylor both in school and had Thomas and his wife Suzanne in school. So um, it's been good to uh, reconnect uh, through these times and been following your progress uh, since you began back a few years ago, I was serving with Thomas at that particular time on the um, uh, committee with the Eastern North Carolina Christian Men's Fellowship, which is now uh, Church Planters of Eastern North Carolina, and he was talking about the development and the origination of this church at those times, so been following you along and keeping up with your progress as well uh, through this time. So it's good to be able to share with you um, today with God's Word, and today I want to share with you a message, the three R's. Now, we recognize that the three R's is a term that is used in various ways. It's kind of a mnemonic device to uh, help establish principles for different organizations or, or different ideas and, and different principles. Now, if you're into animal research, animal research uses three R's, replacement, reduction, and refinement. And in other words, uh, the idea of is there a way that we can replace the use of animals in our research with something else? If so, let's do that when possible. Or maybe reduction. Uh, some say, okay, we, we might use animals, but let's you know, use one animal and do different tests with one animal instead of um, using one animal for this and one animal for that. And so, so reduce the number of animals that are used. Or maybe refinement. Maybe there's a different way we can do this process that is more humane for the animal. So the three R's uh, for them. In relationships, especially in relationships that involve trauma, uh, they talk about in this regulate, relate, and reason. In other words, if somebody's been through a traumatic experience and you're trying to, to work with them, first of all, you try to regulate the situation. You, you try to get them to calm down and, 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 and to kind of get their emotions under control. And then after you do that, you relate to them and you let them know that you really love them and they are loved and they are a valuable purpose. And then you go to the reasoning part and try to help them mentally work through the traumatic experience they had. Now, men, this is where we could use some help because we men, what do we do? We go straight to the reasoning. You know, we forget about the calming down and we forget about the relating and we just try to go straight to the reasoning part. And so we use that um, thing. Of course, in uh, the old standby in education, reading, writing, and arithmetic. Now, they should have added spelling in that as well, because as you can see in that, the, the spelling is a little off in that, but we, education uses that. In the environmental um, lingo, we have reuse, reduce, and recycle. And so, of course, whenever you have the prefix re, R-E, on the front of a word, it means doing something over again. And in the church, we speak and use this terminology. We have sometimes in churches what we call revivals, and we talk about reviving your soul. And of course, the word vive or revival there, same form with the term vivacious, to have life. And so it's to have new life, to revive, to give new life to something. We speak about being a new creation, having new life in Jesus Christ. So this idea of revival. Or maybe sometimes people come along and maybe there's something going on in their life 
and they say, you know, I've got to get myself back together. And maybe publicly or privately, they rededicate their lives to God or they recommit their lives to God. Maybe you heard about uh, the lady who in their revival back out in the country, uh, every year they had a revival, evangelists would come in. And the last night of revival, she would always come down front and she would stand there and she would say, fill me, Lord, fill me, fill me. Next year, last night of the revival, she'd come down to the front at the end of the service, fill me, Lord, fill me. This went on for about five or six years. And that six years, she comes down there, fill me, Lord, fill me. And one of the old men in the church says, don't do it, Lord, she leaks. And uh, so uh, this idea of, of being refilled and renewed in the Holy Spirit, being revived. What I want us to do today is use three R's. Three R's that I'm borrowing from the computer world, but I think will help us to understand about how we can be renewed in our life, how we can have our relationship with Christ become stronger and more effective on a day-by-day basis. We know what it is to have your computer to kind of slow down, and it's just not quite as productive as it used to be. And you think it's on its last legs and, and, and you're doing all you can to try to speed it up and, and get more production out of it. And there are certain things that we can do to kind of, kind of help alleviate that situation. And it's those terms that I want us to consider for our spiritual life today as well. First of all, if we want a stronger relationship with Christ, we can refresh our faith. In the Old Testament, you remember God's people continually slipped from him. They, they said, we will serve the Lord, we will honor him, we will be his forever. And immediately, they began to do something that dishonored the Lord. And they began to fall away from him. Until finally, God allowed his people to be taken into captivity. And they had spent years in captivity, and he came back to them, and he says, I am now going to restore you to your homeland. And in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 25, he says, I will refresh the weary, and I will satisfy the faint. In other words, I'm going to allow you to return home, and I'm going to refresh you. I know you're weary from being captive in a foreign land. I am going to refresh your spirit. And we know we use this in the computer lingo. Uh, when you're working on something, sometimes you hit the refresh button, an F5, or that little um, uh, arrow, circular arrow at the top, and you hit that to refresh your computer. We do that for different things. So sometimes when I'm watching a basketball game, I like to follow the in-game thread where people are talking about the game and, and how it's going. But if you want to keep up with that, you have to hit that refresh button to Refresh it so you bring up the latest thoughts. Or maybe you're following a news feed and maybe it's breaking news and, and, you, and you're on the internet and, and you've got it up, but you want to see what's the latest, what's, what's happened in the past few minutes. And so you hit that refresh button to, to refresh it and to bring up the latest news that's there. And, and so in our spiritual life, we want to refresh. We do it in our physical life. We recognize the need for refreshment. Sometimes refreshment might involve something cold to drink, maybe a snack, maybe sitting down, taking a break, maybe it's taking a nap, something to kind of refresh us, give us a little bit of energy to get through the rest of the day. And spiritually, we need refreshment as well. 
We do it in the church sometimes. We have, we have sometimes special weekends that are called times or seasons of refreshing. Maybe, maybe it's a marriage seminar for a weekend, and, and married couples are invited to come in to refresh and to renew their marriage relationship. Or maybe it's for parenting or some other area where we seek to refresh our life, to try to, try to get, a, get a fresh start at a new start. And we need to do it spiritually as well. So let me share with you some ways that we can refresh our faith and we can refresh our life in God. One of those is we can repent. Jesus said on one occasion, Luke chapter 13, verses 3, and then repeated the same words in verse 5, but unless you repent, you too will perish. Now, when we think of the word repentance, we often think about the plan of salvation, that we need to hear the word of God, and we need to believe in that word, and we need to confess Jesus, and we need to repent of our sins and to be baptized. And so we think about coming to Jesus and repenting. But repenting isn't something that's just a one-time thing before you become a Christian. Repentance is something that we do over and over again. The idea of repentance is the changing of the mind. We change our mind, which causes us to change our lifestyle. We, we recognize this, this goes on. Sometimes you, you have a lifestyle where you eat a certain kind of food, and you go to the doctor, and the doctor says, you really need to change your diet. I went to the doctor one time, and he said, he said you need to go on the Daniel diet, you know, more of a vegetable-heavy diet and so forth. But he's, when he said, you need to go on the Daniel diet, I said, does the Daniel diet include barbecue and fried chicken? He said, no. I said, I don't want it then, you know. That's what, but what you got to do, you got to change your mind. Yes, I know that this is bad for me, and I need to change my mind about what I eat and when I get my mind changed, then I follow that by making the lifestyle change. And that's what repentance is. Repentance means I recognize that this is wrong. I recognize that what I'm doing, what I'm saying, how I'm acting is a violation of the principles of God and is not honoring to God. And in my mind, I know that it's wrong. And so then I act on that and I make changes, this idea of repentance. Now, that term that Jesus used there when he says, but unless you repent, you too shall perish. He used it, as I said, twice there in Luke 13. The first time he used it, he told his disciples about a group of Galilean Jews who had been, been uh, massacred by Governor Pilate at the time. And then he says that Pilate took the blood of those massacred Jews and he mixed it in with the sacrifices that were being made. And so people are thinking, wow, they must have been some bad people for Pilate to massacre them. And Jesus says, do you think they were worse than anybody else? No. But unless you repent, you too will perish. And then he told them about a tower that was in the city, and the tower fell. And 18 people were killed as the result of the falling of the tower. And some people begin to think, man, they must have been some bad people. Well, God was getting them back. Isn't that the way we think sometimes? Something bad happens to somebody, God's getting them. And Jesus said, no, it had nothing to do with how good or bad they were. Things just happen sometimes. But unless you repent, you too one day may have your life snuffed out from you without your even thinking about it. And so this idea of repentance so that we might be refreshed. Another way we might be refreshed is to relax. Jesus put it this way when he was speaking to his disciples. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened down. Can I get a show of hands of people who 
goes through some wearying times. You kind of feel burdened down. Things are kind of difficult. You're kind of, kind of forcing yourself along, and you just get weary with life sometimes. And so Jesus says, come to me, you who are weary and burdened down, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Now, now get the visual that Jesus is painting there. Uh, we, we know about two oxen that are plowing together. There's the yoke that stretches across both of them, and each one of them is in the, the harness in the yoke so that they pull together. And so Jesus says, I've got a yoke. You get yoked up with me. Take my yoke upon you. You see, many times we're trying to pull it all by ourselves. We're trying to accomplish things by ourselves, and that's the reason we get weary, and that's the reason we get worn out. So Jesus says, hook up with me. Relate to me. Get in the yoke with me, because my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So we can relax. We can recreate our souls. Paul told young Timothy, he says, train yourself to be godly, for physical training has some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for the present life and the life has come. He says, train yourself to be godly. That's an interesting word. In the original language, that word is the word from which we get our English word gym or gymnasium. In other words, the exercise place. And he is saying to them, just like you train your physical body and you exercise your physical body, so you need to exercise and to train your spiritual life so that you can be more godly. Recreate your soul. Isn't that why we go through recreation? We go through exercise, try to recreate our body, tone it, try to get it in shape. And Paul is saying to Timothy, you need to get your spiritual life straight as well. You need to get your spiritual life in shape. You need to train yourself to be a godly person. So think about it. I'm sure some of you probably go to the gym. You have a regular workout routine, things that you do to try to tone your body, recreate your body, to make yourself stronger, more fit, more energy. How much time do you spend training your spiritual life? How much time do you spend in trying to, to be renewed and to be strengthened? Remember what Paul says? He says, he says, physical training of some value. There's nothing wrong with going to the gym. There's nothing wrong with working out. There's nothing wrong with exercise. It has value for this life. But spiritual workouts, spiritual training, spiritual exercise is good not only for this life, but prepares you for the life that is to come. So if you're feeling like you're down and weary, and you want to be refreshed, take time to recreate yourself. Get involved in some regular spiritual practices. Also, renew your personal time with God. David said on one occasion, he says to God, create in me a pure heart or a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Lord, I, I need some cleansing. I need to be cleaned up. I need to be renewed in my life. You know how it is when maybe you're out working in the yard or maybe on the job or doing something recreationally and you get all hot and sweaty and all and you get into that shower and how refreshing it can be and, 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 you, and you feel like a, a new person coming out of there. And so we do that spiritually as well. 
And so one of the things we can do, one of the first R's, is we can refresh our life. But we can also have those times where we might need to reboot, reboot our faith and reboot our life as we're living for God and following Him. Now, we recognize in the computer world that you reboot a computer by one of two ways. You can turn it off and then turn it back on again. Or you can hit Control-Alt-Delete and do a soft reboot. And what that kind of does, it kind of takes things back and takes them down, and it, it um, kind of refreshes the operating system. It clears out any temporary data that may be slowing the computer down, and it might resol resolve some, uh, some software problems that are going on. And so you reboot to kind of, kind of get a fresh start and a clean start. Now, if you have computer problems and you talk to somebody about it, what's the first question they usually ask you? Well, have you rebooted it? Have you turned it off and restarted it? That's the first thing. You have a friend ask that. You call the tech. What's the first thing they say? You need to restart it. You need to reboot it. And so in our spiritual lives, there are those times that we need to restart. We need that reboot in our life. Now, let's be honest. Some people just need a boot in the rear end, you know. But we need a reboot in our life. We need to restart our spiritual walk. We know that there are times when mentally and emotionally and spiritually that we become down. And we need that time to maybe decompress, to get away from things so that we can, can kind of get a fresh start, a new start. We need to reboot. And so it is spiritually. Now, how often should you reboot your computer or your iPad or your, your phone? Well, the experts say about once a week. Isn't that interesting? What does Scripture say? In the Old Testament, they had the Sabbath, that one day out of seven to kind of renew themselves. What do we do? We meet on the Lord's Day, one day out of the week, one of the seven, where we meet together for a time of rebooting, a time of restarting. And so we need those times in our life because there are those times in your life, as there are in mine, I'm sure, where sin, where struggles, where just life itself gets you down. And sometimes you even feel like throwing in the towel. We need a reboot. We need something to get us going. Maybe it's a traumatic event. Maybe it's bad news that you've gotten from a doctor. Maybe it's an argument that you've gotten in. Maybe it was a tough day at work tough day with the kids. All these different events that come in our life that really get us down and get us discouraged. Bad diagnosis from the doctor. And so we're down and we feel discouraged and, and something begins to work into our life. Maybe it's a difficulty and it begins to fester in our life. And it begin, begins to just take over our life. And we can't do anything but to concentrate and think about that negative thing that's happening in our life. Maybe it's a sin. Maybe it's an addiction to pornography, or maybe it's an addiction to some type of drug or some type of drink or some type of lifestyle. And this addiction starts to raise itself up and starts to take over and starts to control you. What do you need to do? You need to reboot. You need to go back and get started all over again. What are some things you can do to reboot? One of those things is remember the day of your salvation. Remember that you've been saved by Jesus Christ. Paul writes these words, The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. 
The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. We love to sing the words of that grand old hymn, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. Do you remember that line in that song that says, How precious did that grace appear when? The hour I first believed. When I first came to understand and to believe what Jesus did for me, wow, how precious that was, that Jesus would die for me. And part of the rebooting of our faith is remembering that. Remember what Jesus did for you. You see, we think about what somebody else did to us. Replace what somebody did to you with what Jesus did for you. Remember your day of salvation, that day where you made Jesus master of your life. You see, too many people get comfortable with sin. But when you remember the day of your salvation, you remember what Jesus did for those sins. And it makes you new in your life. Another way you can reboot your faith is to reconnect with your spiritual roots. Paul says, he says, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live with him, rooted and built up and strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Remember, rooted, established, built up as you were taught. And take back in your mind and go back and restore some of those spiritual roots in your life. Think back for some of you, maybe, maybe it was a Sunday school class and a teacher when you were younger. Maybe it was a week of camp. Maybe it was a week of CCYC for, 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 for some of you. And, and that time when, when you were established and strong in the faith. Maybe it's a spiritual mentor who really led you to Christ and helped you to grow. Renew those roots. Get back to those roots and remember the roots that you have. We can go back further than our roots. We can go back and remember some biblical characters. We can remember people like Peter and Paul and Priscilla. Uh, we can remember Eunice and Timothy, those people of the faith who have gone on before us. And I encourage you, take just a moment to think about somebody who is in your spiritual roots. Who is that person whom, when you think spiritual life and who had a dynamic impact upon your life? Think about that person for just a moment. And when you feel down and discouraged and out, remember the faith of that person. And don't let them down. Let their faith renew your faith. Let that person kick you in the seat of the pants spiritually and get you moving again. Another thing you can do to reboot your faith is you can re-engage your church participation. We read in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 and 46, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. And every day they continued to meet together. Every day Christians were meeting together. We're not saying maybe the whole church, but there were groups getting together every day to be there for one another, to, to participate with one another, to have fellowship with one another. The writer of Hebrews put it this way, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. You see one of the reasons we meet together? We always talk, well, we meet together to praise God. Yes, but why else? To encourage one another. 
So let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Re-engage. There's been a lot of engagement that's been lost over the past four years since COVID. Uh, We've seen it in churches. We've seen it in businesses. Think about the changes that have taken place. Uber Eats, you know. Uh, you know, people got, kind of got into the ordering food and having it delivered, and, and you go into to places sometimes that used to be a restaurant that was full of people, and they're not full anymore. Why? They're getting food delivered to their homes, or they've gotten used to picking it up. So we've gone through those changes um, there in, in the way we eat. Or think about other types of changes that have taken place throughout um, cultural changes. Um, back, remember when I was finishing up college, it was about time that, that women were starting to, to go to the workforce more and more. And that's when McDonald's started the Egg McMuffin. Why? Because women got up, they didn't have time to cook breakfast and get a breakfast on the table and all. So what do you do? You stop on the way to work and you pick up an Egg McMuffin. And so, so breakfast um, menus and fast food restaurants began. It was a response to culture. Or think about there's something we used to call Kentucky Fried Chicken, and then fried foods became a no-no. And what did they do? They changed the name. It's KFC. It means the same thing. But you ask some young people what KFC stands for, they have no idea. It's Kentucky Fried Chicken. Or what about Dunkin' Donuts? Have you noticed the slight change there? It's not Dunkin' Donuts anymore. What is it? It's just Dunkin' that you'll see on the side. Why? Because they serve a lot more than donuts. And they have breakfast items as well. And so, and so culture goes through changes because of what's going on in life. And so it happens in the church. But because the church goes through some cultural changes, doesn't mean that we abandon church. And there are some people who got pretty used to the changes. There are a number of people this morning who are sitting in their living rooms or maybe even their beds watching a church service online because it got kind of comfortable to do those kinds of things. But what did the writer of Hebrews say? Do not forsake assembling together, coming together, because that's where you receive encouragement from one another. A faith that just takes you to your TV, you're in charge of. Because if you don't like what the preacher is saying, guess what? You can turn it off. Sitting there, maybe you have that on, but you got the newspaper in your hand as well. And you've got other things going on. We need to re-engage ourselves so that we might be rebooted in our faith. Another thing we can do is we can realign our priorities. Jesus put it this way, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. First thing, first thing you do. When you get up in the morning, what's the first thing you do? Do you take a little bit of time for God? Do you think, take a little bit of time to think about the day ahead? And God, I want you to be glorified in my life today. God, I want this day to be your day because this is the day that you have made, and I will rejoice, and I will be glad in it. Think about all you do, your work, your hobbies, your recreation, your family time, TV time. All those things are good, but they're not the most important thing. How much time does God get in your life? Also, we need to reaffirm the essential of faith itself. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for, and it's the assurance of what we do not, and what we see. 
And without faith, it is impossible to please God. How important is your faith to you? How important is it to know Jesus? We hold to the essentials of faith, and we realize that things change. Again, um, as we mentioned a moment ago, KFC and Duncan and all the things, things change all around us. And sometimes as a church and as individual Christians, we have to adapt to the change. But don't forget the essentials of the faith. What happens when somebody forgets to adapt to change? Any of you remember the name Kodak? Used to be the company for um, photographs, Kodak cameras, and everybody had their Kodak cameras. You don't hear about Kodak anymore. You know why? Kodak's out of business. You know why Kodak is out of business? Because Kodak used film. And there's this new technology called digital technology that came along. And Kodak says, oh, it's just a passing fad. We'll always have film. And they stuck with film. And they got left behind. And you know, it happens to churches sometimes as well. We stick to the old way of doing things and think, oh, that's just a passing fad, that new thing, that new music, that, that dress style. That, that's just a passing fad. And we try to stick to the old. And those churches get left behind. You see, we've got to move forward. We've got to adapt to the changes that are in our lifestyle. It, it, it happens in so many areas. I, I work with funeral home over in Greenville, um, and we, we have a funeral director over there, and he was complaining back a few months ago because they were setting up for a funeral, and the family wanted to um, have some pictures, um, you know, a, kind of a, a slideshow going on. It's set up in the room, and he, was clear. he said, I'm a funeral director. I'm not a video man. Well, to be a funeral director today, guess what that includes? It includes being a video man because it's part of the cultural changes. And so in the church. Now in the church, we recognize that, yes, we face changes, but we never change the message. There's an old saw that says methods are many, principles are few. Methods change, principles never do. And so we want to hold to the truth of God's word and never let that change. But if methodologically we can get it across in a better way, we do. One writer put it this way. He says, I want to remain conservative in my theology. I will be liberal in my methodology. And for that, no apology. So we reboot our faith. We kick ourselves forward as we seek to grow stronger. One last thing we can do to um, have a stronger faith is you can restore your faith. Refresh, reboot. But sometimes there's the necessity to restore. We know what restoring is. You, you restore a car, what do you do? You kind of strip it all the way down, and you try to find original equipment to replace some of that new stuff that's been put on there. You try to find a paint that's the same color paint that the original was, and you, you try to bring it back and make it look like it did in the beginning. Or you restore an old house which may mean you take some of those new trappings off of there and you try to bring it back to its original. And so we want to restore our faith. We want to make sure that we are true to the original. We want to make sure that we're true to the Word of God. My wife's uh, great-grandfather was a, was a hotel um, operator up in Meadville, Pennsylvania. 
uh, back in the day. It was, um, and they built in 1893, they built the Kepler Hotel, a massive structure downtown where the railway line came through and people would come through and, and, and stay there. It was a nice, one of those nice old downtown hotels. You know, you go in there, it had the nice marble stairwell, had, had the restaurant uh, in there that, that just served great food and, and people loved to eat there and so forth. And, and he had it, his son had it. Uh, and then uh, my wife's dad and his brother came along and neither one of them really wanted the hotel business. And so the Kepler Hotel shut down. And it remained closed for many years. But back in 2004, the city of Meadville, Pennsylvania, decided to repurpose the Kepler Hotel and make uh, assisted living or, or senior citizen apartments out of it. And as they were going to reopen it, they wanted to have a special service, special observance. And Alice's dad um, was the, the last remaining of, of the line. His brother had died. And so they invited him to come back to um, speak at the dedication service of the new Kepler Hotel. Now, Alice's dad was a preacher. Matter of fact, he preached over at University Church of Christ in Greenville. That's what, where, where we met. And so, so he was invited to speak. He was a retired preacher. He didn't just go out and say, he prepared a sermon. He worked and worked on that thing for weeks leading up to going up to Meadville for this special event. I remember we got there the evening before because they wanted to just take him in and show him around and let him see it first before the uh, general population got in there. And we're getting out, and the, some of the TV crew and all was there who was going to cover the event. I remember hearing one of the people say, now, they, they were kind of telling somebody what the plan was for the next day. Uh, Mr. Kepler will get up and say a few words. I said, ha, ha, Mr. Kepler not going to say a few words. Uh, he's going to be talking for a while. But, but they had to say, but what they did when they went in there to refigure that building to make apartments out of it, it no longer had the massive staircase. The restaurant was gone. And Alice's dad was rather disappointed because he was looking for a restoration. And what they did is they reimagined it and they repurposed it. And you realize that's what people want to do with the church today? They don't want to restore the church to be the church that God wants. They want to reimagine the church and repurpose the church to fit today's culture. No, we've got to make sure that we're restoring according to God's plan and not man's plan. We can reawaken our faith if we want to do this. Uh, Paul writes, the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because salvation is near. Wake up, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ is going to shine on you. In our world today, many people find themselves spiritually discouraged, spiritually dry, and spiritually dead. I thought it was interesting this morning, the very first song we sang ties right in to what I want to say right now. That rattling. I never heard the song before, but that rattling of the bones. That comes from the Old Testament, the story of Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 37, um, Ezekiel writes, he says, The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me in the middle of a valley. And he said to me, it was full of, full of bones, he said, Son of man, can these bones live? And I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. And he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. 
I will make breath enter into you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. You see, what had happened, the Israelites had gotten far away from God, and they were in a foreign land, and they were dropping spiritually. They were dead. They were dry spiritually. And God says, I'm going to do something. I'm going to restore you. I'm about to show my power again. And I'm going to bring new life to this nation. I'm going to bring new life to my people. I am going to restore my name. And I'm going to exalt and lift up my name. And you know what I say? God, do it again. God, take your people and use us to lift up your name and to exalt your name on high. That's what God is saying. I'm going to do it. And so we need to reawaken our faith. Another thing we need to do is we need to rekindle our spiritual passion. Submit yourselves to the Lord. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. When John wrote these words in the book of Revelation, as he was talking to the seven churches of Asia, he spoke to Laodicea. And you remember what he said to the church at Laodicea? You've lost your first love. You've lost your heart. You've lost your passion. You need to get it back. What about in your life? Have you lost your passion for the Lord? Have you lost your desire and drive? Do you need to be spiritually restored? Maybe you need a spiritual heart transplant. Back in December 3rd, 1967, a surgeon in Cape Town, South Africa, Dr. Christian Bernard, performed the first human heart transplant. Other doctors had been talking about it for a long time, but nobody was willing to pull the trigger or use the scalpel, might be a better term. Nobody was willing to do it. But then, finally, Dr. Bernard shocked the world by removing the heart from a human patient and replacing it with another human heart. Now, over the years, with the development of anti-rejection drugs and with more and more experience, now over 100,000 heart transplants have been done. There are 160 hospitals in the United States alone that perform heart transplants. The success rate for a year is 85 to 90 percent, and for five years, it's 75 percent. And the view of some of the experts is that Dr. Bernard's, yes, it was important that he did that transplant, but what was even more important was that he was brave enough to do it. And there's a book written about Dr. Bernard, and the title of that book is The Surgeon Who Dared. Do you dare to allow God to do something in your life? Do you dare to allow God to transform your life and to give you a new heart. Bad joke time, so I'm just, you've been warned, okay? Bad joke time. Man walks, in, walks into his house, and he sees his dog lying there, unresponsive, not doing anything at all. He scoops that dog up into his arm. He goes to the vet. He takes the vet dog and lays it down on the vet table. He says, doctor, what's wrong with my dog? And the vet looks at it, takes his stethoscope out. He says, sir... Your dog is dead. What? What do you mean dead? 
Surely, surely he's got to be said, can, can I get a second opinion? Can you do some tests and all? It, surely he's not dead. The vet walks out. He comes back into the room. He's got a Labrador retriever. Labrador retriever sniffs that dog and all. Vet takes the dog back out. Comes back in, has a cat. Puts the cat up next to that dead dog. The cat sniffs around and so forth. Vet picks the cat back up, takes him back out. Comes back in to the man. He says, sir, your dog is dead. That'll be $500. $500 just to tell me my dog is dead? He says, originally, it was going to be $50. But you're the one who demanded a lab test and a cat scan. And so now it's $500. Your dog, your dog is dead. And guess what? Spiritually, there are people who are dead. There are people who have just abandoned God. And God needs to do a heart transplant in you. That Ezekiel passage says, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you, and I will take your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. The New Testament says, when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your heart, God made you alive, forgiving you of your sins. God wants to do a work within you. Back to that scene from Ezekiel. You remember how it goes. Ezekiel heard the words of God, and so Ezekiel says, I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling. That's the song we sang. There was the rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. And we sang one song. You remember, there's another song. Them bones, them bones, them dry bones, them bones, them bones, them dry bones. And you get there, the, the foot bone connect to the ankle bone, the ankle bone connect to the shin bone, right on up the line. And all, it all comes from that passage in Ezekiel. New life. And he says, I heard this rattling, and the bones came together, and I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. So I prophesied as he commanded, and breath entered them, and they came to life, and they stood up on their feet. You realize the God who can do that? is the God who can refresh your life. He's the God who can reboot your faith. He's the God that can restore your heart. And that's what God wants to do for you. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful. We are grateful that you are a God who has all power. That you are the God who raised Jesus from the dead that you're the God who moved that stone from in front of that grave entrance, that you are the God who has made lives different throughout history, and you are the same God who is with us today. And Lord, you want to refresh us, to reboot us, to restore us. Help us to be open to your leading. Help us to be open to your working in our lives. Through Jesus we pray. Amen.